It's okay, you can move. Okay, I don't want to like disrupt noise. It's all good. Sorry. Um, makes it more authentic. I guess. I guess. This is the Vince Lerno Podcast, episode 24. On today's episode, we have Miley Durbin with us talking about her new film, Chirp, Buzz, and Other Sensations. Also, we're talking about The Shape of Water, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and much more. So sit back and relax because the Vince Lerno Podcast starts right now. Welcome to the Vince Lionel Podcast, episode 24 on this Friday, August 4th, 2017. I'm your host, Vince Lerno, and I'm joined once again, first time in a while, yeah. by my special guest, Miley Durbin. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me back yeah. after like a year, it feels like. It's been a while, <laughs> yeah. So what have you... Obviously, you've been up to a lot. I know what you've been up to. Right. Not everybody else does. So what have you been up to since then? So I, as well as you... Um, <laughs> I'm getting ready to graduate in a month, so I've been looking at logistics of where am I going to be, what am I going to be doing, um, but more exciting news, I've been working on my senior project, which we've been in the phase of post-production, um, so we're just getting it ready to be screened um, at the end of the month, so yeah, that's what I've been up to. <laughs> yeah, pretty exciting. Very exciting, yeah. We had Gabe on here a couple weeks ago talking about it, and... Uh... Now we're going to get your side of the story. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I listened to it, and it's so crazy because you talked a lot about, like, the beginning stages of everything, and it was weird mm-hmm. to, like, listen to it and think back and, like, wow, yeah, that is what happened. Like, that's so crazy to mm-hmm. think about, like, It really the was process. such a long time ago getting ready it to was. do that. Yeah, it was crazy. But it's been it's been a lot of fun. I've been, I've been enjoying the process so far, so we're going to keep chugging along. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get into chirp buzz. Uh, A little later is our topic of the week. First, let's get into our top five stories, starting off with number one. Uh, This is an old story, but I want to talk about it, so shut up. (laughs) The first trailer for Guillermo del Toro's new movie, The Shape of Water, was released. Uh, This movie, kind of like a Beauty and the Beast story set in the 50s. There's like sea monsters. There's a girl who's a mute and falls in love with the sea monster. It's actually kind of cool there's a lot of great blending of different elements like um like music from that time and and um she works at like this like uh government facility where they're working on top secret government inventions and stuff like that that's where this monster is housed uh but it's a it's a i can't remember who else is in it but oh uh michael shannon who was in man of steel uh, oh wait, now it's all coming back to me. Octavia Spencer, Sally Hawkins, Michael—I can't remember his last name for the life of me—but uh, his first name is Michael. <laughs> and then I think uh, Doug Jones plays the sea monster who was in Del Toro's previous films like Hellboy. Uh, anyways, um, yeah, this was a really interesting trailer. I heard a lot about this movie, The Shape of Water, that Del Toro was working on it after he couldn't do Hellboy 3 and then after he decided not to direct Pacific Rim 2 and hearing about this I was like this is interesting could be interesting could not be could be another Crimson Peak still very well could be another Crimson Peak depending on if you like it or not but um I was really intrigued by the combination of all those elements the the government facility the sea monster the beauty and the beast angle uh the music the music is what really drew me into the trailer uh what did what did you think Miley? Um, yeah, so I thought, 
um, it was, it definitely was very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was, it was kind of cool to see like, like a story like this. Cause I feel like it's, it's sort of fresh, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I felt like this is, oh, this is something new. This is something mm-hmm. interesting. Um, but the, the, the fairy, the, yeah, I, I see what you mean about like the beauty and the beast thing. And, you know, uh, working at Barnes and Noble, um, I see a lot of like the teen books now are, are a lot of like fairy tale adaptations. So it's like, it's mm-hmm. very much, we're kind of go swinging into the side of like, oh, fairy tales are cool. Like we're going to try to do adaptations of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but you know, that kind of makes me wonder like, you know, okay, is this something we're going to, like, rehash? Is this a trend that we're just going to keep kind of recycling things? Mm-hmm. So that, that's kind of, that was my initial take. Yeah, yeah the, the thing that makes it also really interesting that really caught me by surprise was that the main character, the girl played by Sally Hawkins, I believe, who, I guess she's, like, 41 years old, but she looks like she's way younger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just incredible. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Anyways, beside the point, um, her character is mute, so it's all sign language, and mm-hmm. she doesn't speak at all in the movie. And the fact that she is the one who makes this connection with this sea monster who probably can say a few words, I'm, I'm guessing, maybe, maybe not, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's interesting. I think that's what makes, that's what differentiates it from what you just said, all the typical fairy tale stories. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, yes, you can make obvious comparisons that it's the Beauty and the Beast type thing, but for people like you and me who love that, right. you know, it's kind of okay. Yeah, right. Um, I don't think I need to remind people how much we like Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. They know all too well. <laughs> but um, yeah, seeing that angle and seeing it such a very definitive character trait in these two um I guess we'll call them lovers. It's not really clear if they're lovers or friends, but we'll just call them lovers. Um, in these two lovers, I make, think we'll make it stand out from just your typical fairy tale esque movie, right? And you know, there have been other stories um, that have been made that are similar to that sort of like I'm ugly, but I like what's inside. <laughs> yeah. So I guess it's not a completely uh, original idea, but just the fact that they're using such original characters to tell it i think is what makes it stand out i mean it's it's also it's del toro so he's i mean he's made right. such great movies like like the hellboy films um a pacific rim he did Pan, pan's labyrinth you know, yes that yeah i haven't seen that but need to um <laughs> bunch of other films that have been um very well received and people love them um but you know he kind of gets think he kind of gets a shaft on some of his projects he was trying to get hellboy 3 going he tried yeah. to get pacific rim 2 going and then he had to step down as a director and go to executive producer so they could make a smaller scale pacific rim sequel which you know i guess is okay it's pacific rim it's 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 fun it's not that great of a movie right <laughs> but um something like hellboy though it sucks because that's something that's like a arc you know he's already created an arc with the two films with that character both well received you'd want to see him finish that story but he wanted to make like a hundred two hundred million dollar movie which studios aren't willing to invest in so right you just kind of have to bite the bullet i guess but yeah regardless uh this movie looks fantastic and i guess i'm because it's so great and i'm so excited for it i'm kind of glad that things turned out the way they did for him so yeah yeah i mean it's definitely it's very, very different from, like, the other stuff he's made. Mm-hmm. 
so it'll be exciting to see something kind of fresh and it's like when you hear the name del toro you don't immediately think of this kind of story so it's right it's it's unique yeah yeah. it shows his uh ability to cover different genres which i like as a as a director myself i try to i'm trying to uh, stretch myself out like that i want to be able to cover multiple genres multiple stories so seeing other people do that is really inspiring um but yeah it looks like it's going to be a good original film and uh if you guys want to see more original films you got to put your money into movies like these (laughs) (laughs) all right number two we got the official confirmation that ant-man of the wasp the new marvel film and sequel to ant-man has started filming they showed us very funny little production video of uh the seats, the like director's chairs yeah. for Ant-Man and the Wasp, but they're like shrunk down to ant size. That was very clever. Uh, they also revealed that, you know, big cast is back. Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, Michael Douglas, uh, oh, frick, I can't remember. Uh, Michael Pena. Um, almost forgot his name. Let's see who else is in this. Michelle Pfeiffer was cast as uh, Michael Douglas's wife, who was presumed to be dead in the first movie. Oh, yes, she's so not. that's um, going to be interesting. Yeah. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne, uh, Walton Goggins, I think that's how you say his name. Uh, gosh, we just talked about him. I just talked about it with Gabe last week, actually. Um, <laughs> Randall Park playing a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, and another somebody else I'm forgetting playing a character called The Ghost. It'll come to me. <laughs> Anyways, uh, have, you, have you, you seen Ant-Man? Yes, I have. What did you think of Ant-Man? Um, I thought it was um, a lot of fun. I think it, I saw it really late, so it was one of those things where, like, I remember when the trailer first came out, everyone was like, this looks awful, and then <laughs> it was a lot better than people expected, so they were like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And so, like, by the time I saw it, I felt like it was overhyped for me. Gotcha. Um, so I didn't dislike it. It was just more of, like, I remember watching it, and I'm just like... Is, is like this it just based on like, what everyone yeah, is, has told me good, it was it's... it was fun though like i felt like it was more of a heist movie which was cool because it's like marvel does like superhero movies so the fact that it was like right. a heist i was like this is fun like it, it felt like it was a lot of fun so i mm-hmm. i definitely enjoyed it yeah i think that's that was sort of the first well i guess maybe not the first winter soldiers had sort of started that trend of um superheroes covering different genres but still being superheroes it was like yeah winter soldier was like a political thriller with a superhero this is like a heist movie with a superhero or mm-hmm. his, he's not really much of a superhero i guess but he kind of becomes one in, in a way um but yeah i guess i sort of had a similar reaction i at first glance first glance of the movie i thought like oh my gosh this is amazing it's the best movie since since Captain America, whatever, mm-hmm. and then taking a step back, it's like, well, okay. I mean, it was, it was, it was good. I mean, honestly, I've only seen it like maybe twice mm-hmm. since it came out two, three years ago. Yeah. So I guess the repeat value, the repeat value, at least for me, has not been uh, great. But I still like the character. I, I love Scott Lang's portrayal of Scott Lang. Uh, Paul Rudd's portrayal of Scott Lang, aka mm-hmm. Ant-Man. Right. And I uh, was happy to see that they were doing a sequel. Seems like they're doing much bigger and better things. They're putting in the Wasp and adding more female heroes to the mix, which I guess is which is also important because um, not just for film in general, just giving more female roles to people, especially something as significant as this. But the Wasp is a big character in the comics and Mm -hmm. at this point with however many heroes there are in the in the marvel cinematic universe it's like 
it's time to put her in there because she's kind of a big character and she right. if they're going to do what they do with her in the comics um you know now is a better time than ever to get her introduced as the wasp obviously she was introduced as just um uh, i forget her character's name hope something but uh to have her finally be introduced as the wasp is really exciting for a lot of people and then just the new cast returning cast members as well as new cast members Michelle Pfeiffer is playing uh, Janet Van Dyne, who was the original Wasp, just like Michael Douglas was the original Ant-Man. Mm-hmm. So seeing that is pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, Michael Pena, who was sort of the big comic relief of that first yeah. movie. He's he's a great addition, so it's good to see him back. I wonder what he's... I mean, I wonder what even the plot's going to be. Like, we don't really know much about what the movie's going to be. All, all we got was, like, a little synopsis about, like, Oh, Ant Man's gonna, you know, struggling with how to balance his, his family life and his Ant Man life. Like, mm-hmm. where we heard seen that before, you know? Right. With the, uh, I think one of the Spider Man movies cover that. I can't think of off the top of my head, but, uh, yeah, I guess there's not too much to go off of. Just the fact that you know it's exciting to see Marvel get into production with another movie. I believe it's coming out 2018. Same time as Infinity War, so I guess that also makes us wonder, is he going to Ant-Man and the Wasp, are they going to factor into Infinity War? Mm. Are they going to be in that first movie? Because it's <clears throat> technically technically not, technically is a two-parter movie with the fourth Avengers sort of taking place right after the third Avengers movie. I see. So, a lot of questions, not a lot of answers, Yeah. but we're excited for the movie, so I guess that's all we can say about it. Yep. <laughs> All right, number three, uh, we got the first look at, I hope I'm saying this right, Zai Zai Beats as a Domino in Deadpool 2. Um, I don't know much about this character. I don't honestly follow a lot of the Deadpool lore. All I know is Deadpool and Cable. That's mm-hmm. that's about it. But um, we both know somebody who's really into Deadpool. Yes, And uh, I'm sure he's very excited about this news, or I guess... Maybe, because there's a big controversy with the f- look of the character. I don't know if you've seen what she looks like yet. But yeah. She, the character is traditionally portrayed as a white-skinned woman with a black eye patch, almost like a Dalmatian or yeah. a Domino. Right. <laughs> and then uh, they sort of flipped that by casting a black actress with a white circle on her eye, and she has this, like, I forget what the condition is called, but it's like when, like, your skin... It's like discoloration in parts mm-hmm. of your skin. I guess Michael Jackson had it for a time. Right. Obviously. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's an interesting take. Personally, not being a big fan of that lore and not knowing much about it, I think it's fine. Mm-hmm. I don't. I mean, I get why people might be mad at that look, but that it's not comic accurate, but it's like, hey, kind of is, instead of just a white person with the black circle, it's a black person with a white circle. I mean, right. what's what's the real difference? And it's kind of a cool way to flip the idea on its head. Uh, what, do, what do you think of all this? Yeah, I think it's it's interesting because it's like we were talking, all the, the controversies you said is, is talking about how she looks. And it's like, I don't, I've not really heard much discussion on like, oh, I think this actress will be a good portrayal, you know? And, uh-huh. and it's like, you know, I mean, when you cast for movies, you always want to go for who's going to represent it the best and who's mm-hmm. going to um, act the best. And so it's like, what if, like, no one's 
talking about, oh, well, she probably is really good talent, or she's probably going to bring something to the character that's really good. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she she was in that show uh, Atlanta with mm-hmm. with uh, what's his name, Donald Glover. Glover. Yeah, don't yeah. know why that name escaped me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, she's obviously proven she has talent if getting in a show like that, which was Emmy nominated. So I mean, people should be. Yeah, it's like it's a shame people don't look at the fact that like she is a good actress. Obviously, mm-hmm. she has talent. Why can't we just sort of hone in on that and make sure that you know, like, because if, if she's a terrible actress, like the the look of the character is at least of your concern, you know? Right. But I, I mean, I doubt that's the case. Right. Um, well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure if I knew more about this character, if I had, lo- you know, if I was in love with the Deadpool Laura, some people were, yeah. I would be like, this is terrible. What are they doing? But Honestly, it's, it's, if the character does, if the actress does a good job at portraying the character, that's all that really matters to me. Right. And I mean, honestly, like, even if, if it so happens that she flops and she doesn't do a good job, I mean, I feel like the studio is still going to benefit from, like, getting this news of, like, oh, like, we have a black actress. And it's like, I feel like that's what people are going to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's not really going to be any focus on, like... The character herself, it's going to be all about, like, oh, representation, like, oh, you know, race. Yeah. So, I mean, the fact that this has become such, like, a distracting point, it's, mm-hmm. like, I'm not sure if that was, like, the best decision in, like, a studio. Right. In the studio. Yeah, I mean, I, I and I agree with what you just said earlier about just, like, cast who's right for the role. But at the same time, you have issues like this come up, like, Doctor Strange had a big issue of, like... They mm-hmm. casted one of the characters, you know, as a traditionally a white man, cast them as a black man. One of the characters was traditionally a Chinese man, casted a Celtic woman. Right. Um, litany of other things that they did in that movie that, I mean, I don't care about. Like, I watch the movie and I just try to distance myself from the lore and just be like, it is what it is. Take just, it at face just, value. So you can take it at face value. And, you know, despite all the inconsistencies with the comic and the movie, it's like, it works. And plus, with stuff like this, you want. I think I think it is important to have a good amount of representation, not to the point where it's just like this look doesn't feel real. Mm-hmm. Like it just feels like we're making a movie to represent people right. and different races. Like if you can make it feel natural, I think that's important because there are people who feel misrepresented and don't feel like they can have someone they identify with simply because of their skin color. Right. Um, which, you know, I think you can identify with anybody regardless of your skin color. Mm-hmm. But th- that is an issue. And I think the fact that these studios are at least considering that and taking the whole race thing out of question, just be like, let's just cast whoever is right for the role regardless of their skin color or whatever, their ethnicity or whatever. Just let's cast who's right for the role. And I, I'm a firm believer in that. And if Zay Zay Beats is right for the role, then who are we to say otherwise, you know? Right. So we'll wait and see, but... I'm okay with the look. I'm sure other people are. Yeah, it's Don't. it definitely still like emulates the attitude that Deadpool has because yeah. like, from what I've seen her in like costume and everything, it's like I, she looks like she fits in with the world. Right. So it's it's not jarring. It's like the the Deadpool world is like expanding. So that's really cool exactly. to see. Exactly. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, okay, we'll move on to number number four. Um, Disney has their scar for their Lion King live action remake boot thing it's not really live action remake since it's not live action but 
We'll call it a live action so, remake for the CGI animated CGI <laughs> remake. Yeah, um, she would tell Edgy of Four who. I guess Quinn Stanley was in Doctor Strange. He's <laughs> going to play Scar, or voice Scar, I should say, in the new Lion King remake directed by John Favreau. So this now we have we have Donald Glover playing Simba. We have um, oh gosh, I don't know why I'm having such a hard time with names today. Uh, he played Mufasa in the original movie. Uh, James Earl Jones mm-hmm. uh, is playing Scar. We have Pumbaa playing being played by. Um, Seth Rogen, I don't remember who's playing Timon. Beyonce might play Nala. That's kind of weird. <laughs> um, and now we have Chiwetel Ejiofor playing. Uh, oh, we uh, and John Oliver is playing uh, Zazu the Bird. And then we have Scar being played by Chiwetel Ejiofor. So this is shaping up to be a pretty impressive cast. Yeah. Um, I know we keep talking about race and stuff, but again, another um, person of color added to the cast, which... It seems like that's what most of the cast consists of. Mm-hmm. This show is about race. <laughs> that was one of the big taglines we had with Gabe. Yeah, <laughs> I did hear about that. Chirp just has a has a way with race. You yeah, know? we sh- we sure do. <laughs> Look at us. Uh, anyways, he's a great actor. I've been a big fan of him way before he was in Doctor Stranger, before he got the Oscar for um, Twelve Years a Slave. Yeah. So i'm really excited about this casting i think he'll i mean initially i think they announced or it was a rumor going around that hugh jackman was going to play scar and that got me excited as well because right it's hugh jackman mm-hmm. uh but this not only does it make more sense it also just kind of i don't know feels right he has a he has played very menacing anti-hero type roles before so i think this sort of fits his um i don't want to say he's being typecasted but he kind of is but you know if it's what he's been able to do in the mm-hmm. past you know i mean have you seen a lot of his work or i have not with it? i haven't but i mean i've heard great things about 12 years a slave so i mean i think if you've got talent like that mm-hmm. i have a lot of faith in it yeah <laughs> so. yeah yeah oscar oscar nominations wins usually help i mean look where it got brie larson exactly <laughs> she yeah. was like I, I i keep bringing that story up she was like you know doing small scale films not very many people knew who she was mm-hmm. i had my eye on her because like we should keep an eye on brie larson yeah and then she got nominated out of the blue for a room and i'm like finally yeah <laughs> now yeah so i guess off topic but um <laughs> yeah no this lion king thing is shaping out to be really impressive they showed footage at d23 which sort of uh was similar to the stuff they showed from the jungle book where it looks so real that's like it, it, you can't tell if it's real or yeah. cgi so that yeah. gets that gets me really excited um i just hope that disney doesn't rope john favreau into doing these types of movies for the rest of his life i think he's going to do a second jungle book movie mm-hmm. after this and it's like I, I love that you're doing these i love that they're great movies but i want you to do more things you know i, right. I, I don't like seeing directors stick to one thing for a long period of time you know it's Mm -hmm. like like maybe like you know like james gunn he's doing the guardians of the galaxy movies he's coming back to do the third one finish the trilogy and then i think he'll be done then um he'll still sort of be like the kevin feige of that cosmic universe but yeah you know if you i think if you stick around for a while for too long what may seem like a good idea might not be a good idea Mm -hmm. and you're just trying to crank out ideas for these characters and I know at a certain point you might you, you just you need to take a step back and then revisit them a couple of years later if you really want to. But right, um, 
No, I mean, it's, besides that, this movie looks like it's shaping up to be really, really impressive and um, can't come soon enough. I have I have a older sister who loves Lion King. It's sort of like a sort of like a family staple. Yeah. Or a staple in our family. Yeah. Words. <laughs> but uh, so it's exciting for us to see this come alive, just like I wrote my family and seeing Toy Story 3 when that came out. It's, <laughs> those are like the two big staples in our family in terms of movies, Lion King and Toy Story. So right, yeah. It's cool to see these franchises have sort of a resurgence of a sorts, and it's not, you know, like a sequel to Lion King, because I think if you did like a straight-up sequel, it'd just be like, really don't need this. Right, yeah. But who knows? Maybe they'll they'll do a sequel. I mean, they did a sequel on TV and wasn't so good. Right. Yeah. And it was like straight to video. Yeah. Types of sequels. <laughs> didn't didn't get a second season, so. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, our last top five, number five, Star Wars Episode Nine is getting rewritten by Jack Thorne. Uh, he's rewriting the script by Colin Trevorrow and Derek Connolly, which I don't want to say is too concerning, but kind of is because just recently after. Colin Trevorrow's new film, The Book of Henry. I haven't seen it, but I haven't heard the best. Is, is it not good? I mean, from what I've heard, it's yeah, really it's, bad. It's, I mean, I, I basically had, like, the whole plot, like, spoiled for me. I mean, I went looking for it because I wanted, mm-hmm. I didn't really want to see it, but I'm like, what's making it so bad? Right. And then I heard, just, like, plot-wise, it's just like, what? <laughs> so Yeah, I, I had the same reaction when I saw the trailer because I, I was expecting yeah, this, like, yeah, yeah. something similar to what he did with his first movie, Safety Not Guaranteed. Right, but it was like, like the their kids, and they have a neighbor. They're trying to save the neighbor from their abusive dad, and it's supposed to be like inspirational and and whimsical and imaginative. But it's also so dark. So I think what I'm hearing is like it's a it's a it's a unsuccessful clashing of two specific genres. Yeah, it just. It, I mean, even the trailer is just kind of a mess. Like I didn't know what kind of movie it was after yeah, seeing the trailer. Exactly. So. That brings into question Trevorrow's ability to direct mm-hmm. something as big as Episode Nine. Cause, I mean, this is the last movie of the trilogy, and if you can't pull that off, then you know that, that's a lot riding on you. You know, right. reputation to think about and everything. Um, so I guess I mean the main thing I thought of when they said a new writer was coming in, I th- I, th- I immediately thought. Well, they're probably going to rewrite Carrie Fisher out of the movie since mm-hmm. she has passed away, and they, we right. got confirmation later this week that she was going to have a proper send off in this movie. Mm. I guess spoiling the fact that she might not die. I don't know. <laughs> Regardless, I mean that's that's great to hear. I guess not that I want Leia to die in the movie, but, right? But, but it's uh, like logistically, how how are they going to approach it? Yeah, yeah. and. Um, so that's that was my main thought, but then yeah, thinking about the book of book of Henry, um, and I guess just Trevorrow's reputation in general. Like even though he did Jurassic World and that was a major billion dollar hit, mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't that great of a movie. I thought it was very much a popcorn dinosaur movie. Didn't have the um, the integrity and the smarts that uh, the first. Well, I guess just the first film had, mm-hmm. uh, depending on if you like the second or third movies. But um, you know, there was there was uh, it was a good story that you know was smart, but it also was this you know popcorn blockbuster movie about dinosaurs. Um, mm-hmm. 
this felt like, okay, let's just make another Jurassic Park movie. Let's, you know, we don't know, we don't have any other ideas. Let's just like, we make a dinosaur, you know? Yeah. That, that was sort of my first thought. I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's your plot? Really? That doesn't seem very exciting, you know? It doesn't seem very um, Jurassic Park-like. That seems like, I know, it, it, it didn't feel like Jurassic Park when I mm-hmm. first read it. Then I saw it, liked it, but still had that feeling. It was like, could have been better. Right. Could have been a little smarter. Uh, characters weren't so well developed. There was definitely like a relationship between the brothers that I was invested in, uh, sort of a relationship between Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard's characters. But um, anyways, I'm getting totally off topic now, ranting on Jurassic Park. No, it's fine. Jurassic I mean, World. this is the guy who's going to like home exactly. the project. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's like... So yeah, it's just, it's a big responsibility to take on Star Wars Episode Nine. I mean, this is we should, we didn't even think we'd be talking about this these movies until you know several years ago. We thought like, oh, we're done with Star Wars forever, and then lo and behold, the new trilogy is happening. Right. <laughs> so the fact that we're even talking about this is pretty pretty incredible. Um, but yeah, no, it definitely yeah. um, raises some red flags right. for me. I don't know what 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 are your thoughts on all this? Yeah, I mean, I think. Especially after the whole, like, Han Solo thing of, like, oh, oh, like, they're they're taking him off and we're bringing new people on. And it's, like, now this, it's, like, it it just kind of makes you wonder, like, you know, are are these going to fall apart? And it's, Mm -hmm. like, that's really obviously scary to think about. Um, But, I mean, I think, honestly, at the end of the day, like, as producers, like, you make the right decision of, okay, he was successful with Jurassic World, like, who, who's to say he can't handle, mm-hmm. you know, Star Wars? Because it's like, yeah, Book of Henry, not so good. But it's like, if you look at the genre of it, it's it was not Jurassic World, like, Star Wars-esque. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's, it's like, a good thing to be like, you know, okay, that's probably not a spiel, but, you know, right. Jurassic World had some success, so... And he it's probably going to be an upshot, you know? Yeah, and he did do Safety Not Guarantee, which is a phenomenal movie. And um, one thing that I will say about his directing is that, like, you know, the actors don't give bad performances. And that, at the end of the day, that's sort of the director's responsibility is to pull good performances out of the actors. And I, I will say that he has the ability to do that. So maybe their solution to this is get... Maybe the script wasn't to where it needed to be, mm-hmm. and they needed a new writer. Just like, look, you're great at directing actors. We'll write this. We'll write this. Write the script for you. You direct the script, and you get those emotions out of the actors. Mm-hmm. You just worry about that. So maybe that's why this is a thing. Um, right. There, there's a litany of reason why this could be a thing, but um, right. I know I, I'm not as worried as I am for like Han Solo because at, at this point, me personally, I think the those spin-off films have a reputation to be not as well received. Mm-hmm. I mean, Rogue One, I've had people say it's it's a masterpiece, best Star Wars movie ever. Me, personally, I did not think it was that great, and I think the reshoots devolved what the movie could have been and what it was marketed as. Yeah. And I was really riding on... I, I liked what I saw from those first trailers, and seeing the movie as it was, it felt very toned down it feel like feels like disney is sort of um even with the whole phil lord chris miller thing it feels like disney is scared to take a chance on making these spin-off movies right different and that, that that's the only reason i was behind the spin-offs is because like okay as long as the saga films feel like the star wars classic stuff that we love and the spin-offs feel like 
you know, you take a chance on something different that we haven't seen before. Yeah. I'll be okay with spinoffs, but if we're just going to, you know, I mean, they even got like Ron Howard, a very Spielbergian, George Lucas-esque type director mm-hmm. to do Han Solo. So that makes me, that worries me. It's like, okay, I get it, but the, 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 isn't that the point? That's why you hired Phil Lord and Chris Miller. That's why you hired right. someone like Garth Edwards to do Rogue One. You want to take a risk on these movies and do something that'll that has the ability to not just be Star Wars. It can be Star Wars, but it can be a different take on that universe. Yeah. And I felt like Rogue One was too safe. Mm. And I feel like Han Solo may play it too safe as well. Um, too Star Wars. Too Star Wars, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, me being a big fan, it's like, why am I complaining? Um, <laughs> but uh, we'll see, we'll see. So yeah, I guess in conclusion to that, I'm more worried about the spinoffs than I am the actual episodes because we mm. haven't heard a thing about like oh Ryan Johnson the editing the editing for for Last Jedi doesn't looks too good well, we might need to get another editor or something it's like right there's nothing coming out of that yeah, yeah like everybody I think everybody is really happy with the Last Jedi how that's shaping up I think he's happy with it too uh, so yeah we'll see we'll see I mean I don't know Jack Thorne's credits what he's written before but. I, sure, yeah, if, Disney, if Lucasfilm wants to have him rewrite the script, at this point we don't know what episode 9 is going to look like or what episode 8 is, so we'll only know for sure what's going to happen until we see episode 8, so right. we shall find out. <clears throat> Alright, well that was our top 5 running down the list again. That was the first trailer for The Shape of Water, Ant-Man and the Wasp starts filming, Zayze Beats as Domino in Deadpool 2, Chiwetel Ejiofor playing Scar in The Lion King remake, and Star Wars 9 gets rewritten by Jack Thorne. And now we move on to our topic of the week, uh, continuing our sort of off-the-cuff um, senior projects discussion. Yeah. <laughs> last week we had, or last week, two weeks ago, we had Gabe Moore talk about uh, shooting and co-writing Chirp of the Sensations, and now Miley who was the director and co-writer of the movie. Yep. We're here to talk about her, so uh, let's get right into it. Um, so yeah, I guess I talked to Gabe about um, where the idea came from and how you guys, from like conception of the idea to actually writing it and then up to um, the pitch to mm-hmm. Sky. And so you just want to like walk through that process first? Yeah, so I mean, I, I don't want to repeat a lot of what he talked about, but I, I just know that um, coming off of uh, directing two, which we were taking this time last year, it mm-hmm. was, that was, that was a cra- it was a crazy quarter for me because I'd kind of had this like self-realization before that quarter started that like, here I am a junior and I want to be a director, but like no one thinks of me as a director. Like everyone, if you ask anyone in our class, I was an editor. Which I was fine with because I love editing, mm-hmm. but it just kind of made me realize that like I was playing things um, safe. You know, it's like I, I was comfortable with editing that I had done a lot of that in high school. So it's like, OK, I'll stick to that. And it's like I, I didn't really take risks. I didn't take chances um, for when I would direct things. I, I would just I think I had like this subconscious thing of I'm not as good as other people in my class, so I'm not going to try to be good. If that makes sense. Because mm, it's like, yeah. oh, I expect myself to reach a low bar, so I'm not even going to try to go higher. Um, and so after, like, a lot of reflecting and being like, you know, I don't want to graduate regretting anything. Um, I came to the school wanting to do a senior project because that's what um, 
the administration had talked about when I'd had my phone interview uh, mm-hmm. to apply here. And, and at that point, I was like, you know, I know Susie's doing one. At the time, Meg Boyle was going to do a documentary, and she wanted me to help produce. And so I just kind of accepted, like, I'm not going to do a senior project. Mm-hmm. And then Directing 2 happened, and I put so much into just my, my weekly assignments. And then I did a final, which was very well received. Um, very. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I remember Professor Scoggins telling me, he's like, you better do a senior project. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and then I even had people telling me, hey, if you're going to do a senior project, I want to help out. Like, And this was before I, I was even accepting that I was going to have an idea or even do one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I remember like that finals week game and I had like a heart to heart about like all that we've accomplished or haven't accomplished up till that point. And it's like, you know, we don't want to graduate feeling like we've missed out on anything or we've not, we didn't do something because we were too afraid. And so... Uh, we shook on it. We we're like, we're we're gonna do a senior project together. I didn't know what that was gonna be. We didn't. We just knew we wanted it to be like indie because he and I love the independent film genre. And I think if you get two people who really really know a genre to work on something together, there's gonna be great things that come of that. Um, so that's kind of when we decided to do it. And then getting ideas was complicated because it was like we didn't have one. And then out of the blue, this idea just kind of hit me, and I was just like, wait, what if, what if we did, um, this, this, like, really funny comedy about this girl who has grown up in a very, like, Christian upbringing, and so she gets freaked out when she is, like, her very first sexual attraction to somebody, um, and, like, at first, there was, like, a lot, there was, like, a lot of, like, miscommunication with Gabe about that, because first, when I said that she was attracted to her best friend, he assumed that meant that, it was her female best friend. So it's like, oh, we're, oh, we're doing gosh. a gay character. <laughs> and so that was weird to kind of like, we had to clarify that. Clear um, the area. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what I, I think, I don't know if you hear her best friend, you just assume, you know, yeah. same gender, same best gender, friends, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So in, in like all the log lines, all the pitches, I always say her best friend, Lenny. Like I <laughs> emphasize it's a dude. Um, so we don't have that confusion anymore. Um and it was just also interesting because it's like the whole thing of kind of going through that part in your life. Um, boys and girls experience it very different. Uh-huh. Um, so Gabe was kind of like, I'm interested, but what? Like, what does that mean? You know? And right. so um, so I just kind of gave him the rundown of like, oh, so this is usually how it happens for girls. And, you know, this is kind of what I went through. And and I, I think it's so – I just thought it was funny because it's like – I, I know in my own experience, it, it was like, you know, I didn't think it was, I, I thought, you know, you know, those feelings came up kind of almost like you almost will it to happen. Like, oh, I'm, I'm interested in having sex, therefore I'm going to feel this way. And, it, and mm-hmm. it wasn't like that at all. It was more of like, um, you know, it just out of the blue, like, nothing substantial triggered it and that's what was so jarring because it was like whoa like what (laughs) like it was really confusing and so I I thought we could play off of that and have it something completely minute completely not sexual at all and it just like triggers her to feel that way and so it's like the whole story is her trying to avoid contact with this kid um over like really stupid things like a slug bug punch or handing her a donut you know and and I, I found a lot of comedy in that right um so it just, after that, it just became a lot of fun to write. Um, 
it's so funny because it's like as, as time went on, I didn't feel like we had been working on it for so long because it's like Gabe's one of my best friends and it's like our meetings felt like us hanging out and mm-hmm. uh, brainstorming and, and it, it, it genuinely, it feels like something that's genuinely from the both of us. Like there, there are lines or there are ideas in the movie where um, I'll be like, oh, Gabe, that was really great. Like, that was a great line. And he's just like, no, I'm pretty sure you wrote that line. And it's like we can't, it's like we can't separate it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, which feels good because it's like you want something that's authentically from the two of you. And it's it's not like, you know, yes, I'm technically directing. But there's kind of this running joke that, that there's a lot of people who think Gabe co-directed it, which mm-hmm. I think is hilarious. He, he doesn't <laughs> like it because he's like, no, like, that's your job. And it's like, I mean, you had a lot of input. Um you know, any creative decision I would have to make or change, I didn't feel comfortable doing it without getting his advice mm-hmm. first or kind of his input. Right. Um, and that's cool because it, it makes it something special because it's like if either one of us was out of the picture, this movie wouldn't have happened. And I think mm-hmm. that's really, really cool. Yeah, so. definitely. I think you guys both brought um, obviously the same style as I was saying with Gay. Like you had that very quirky indie comedy, which... I just love. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a great, great style. I'm glad you guys chose to use that style to tell the story because uh, it really makes it unique. And I think um, with all the senior projects and this one specifically, uh, maybe just because I've had, I've you know heard a lot of what you right. said about it and, and been involved. Um, it feels like this specific year, a lot of the senior projects are really pushing the envelope like never before. Like, with all due respect to the previous projects, they all sort of tackled the same genre, the same type of yeah. stories. It was very, like, emotional stuff. And I came here thinking, like, okay, but, but, but there, there's there's more than one genre out there, guys. Right. You can cover more ground. You can still create these impactful stories and while still being a comedy or still being in a, a post-apocalyptic movie or being a silent comedy yeah. drama film or... or psychological thriller or uh, a a uh, family drama all done in Spanish uh, so I, I'm really really impressed with our class this year and that we've able to been able to see what's been done before and think you know we can do better like there's there's more to this and I hope for future classes that's what their mentality is because I mean obviously yeah, the, the drama genre has has potential and it's it's a great genre where great stories are told but I feel like, yeah, because we that's sort of been the ongoing thing at the school, people think like that's the limit of what mm-hmm. we can do. It's like, no, we can make quirky indie comedies. We can make all these great films that feel real and feel like, you know, we're pushing the envelope. And I think that's that's great, especially with your guys. I think that there's a Thank lot you. that's just like, oh, JP Catholic's doing that? Uh, uh, you know, initially it's like, what is, it's, it's, a, it's about sex? It's like... Well, no, it's it's not about sex. I mean, it kind of is, but not, not really. really. <laughs> it's so funny. We were talking about how um, I think Gabe said it's the most innocent movie about sex you can make because yeah, it, I even yeah. brought, I'm like, no one even kisses in our movie. Like nothing <laughs> graphic at all happens at all. It's literally just topics. Right. And <laughs> I think there's a cuss word in there, maybe. Yes. I mean, one. I don't know if kissing would be considered graphic but <laughs> <laughs> right yeah it's yeah. like it's it's so funny and I think that was the point because it was like I, I feel like in movies we always see um 
we don't, I don't know, it's like we don't see this tackled in a very in-depth way. It's always either like someone's trying to lose their virginity and it's kind of like on the way to do that or it's like they, their idea of having a sexual awakening or a sexual, sexual exploration is that they um, indulge in it and it's like we never see kind of like that in-between phase of like what's going on with my body? Like, why am I feeling this way? Uh Um, Does, you know, does what I'm feeling in my body match kind of what I feel in my heart or even in my head? You know, and and it's like people people ask those questions and it's really, it's hard and it's weird because it's like you want everything to kind of line up and and you start, you know, second guessing a lot when they don't. And so I think... um, I'm, I always go into, like, wanting to make a story of, like, what have I not seen before? What have I not, like, seen in movies before, talked about, or explored and dove into? And uh-huh. I think that that this is a side of the um, coming-of-age story that I've never seen. Because it, it, I think it's hard to believe, it's hard for me to believe, um, even when you do have the message of, like, you shouldn't indulge in sexual desires, it's still mapped out in a way that you have a character who does indulge and then realizes it's wrong. Mm-hmm. But I, I have a hard time feel, believing that everyone goes from point A to Z that quick. It's like there's right. so many in-between steps and, there, and there's there's a lot more happening kind of in your head that's um, that we don't stop and think about. And um, it's crazy because it's like when we had our, our test screening um, a couple weeks ago um, – we had a couple people tell us, like, you know, I, I actually really related to this and a similar thing, ha- obviously not as extreme, but, you know, a similar mm-hmm. thing happened. And it's like, that's that's what we want. It's like, we want people to be like, okay, I'm not the only one. Or like, yeah, that is how I felt. Um, and obviously the story's an exaggeration, but it's it definitely comes from a place of reality. So <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited that um, we were able to do it and I'm excited that people are excited for it. Yeah, yeah, I just touching on the relatability of the movie, I remember reading, doing the read-through for it mm-hmm. and um, having that same thought, like, this is a feels like a real... Like, anybody, not even just myself, can relate to this yeah. story. Like, I felt like anybody can pull from this an experience they had that's similar, um, if not exactly like this. Right. Um, <laughs> um, also, it's just, like, super funny. I, think, I don't think I've laughed at a script more than I did reading Chirp. Yeah, um, it's I'm. It, it's so funny because it's like Gabe and I, um, from script to storyboarding, we were very much like, we thought of everything very carefully. Mm-hmm. Um, you were on set, so there's <laughs> there's stuff that you know where it's like, okay, we're getting this coverage in just like this one kind of shot. So it's like we we didn't have tons of coverage for some shots because we knew specifically we wanted this is what we want to do mm-hmm. and we want to cut to this in here. Yeah. Um, and I wrote it with, like, the editor's mentality. So that helped a lot, too. And it's just, like, a lot of our jokes were very – we had a lot of visual comedy going on. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's, like, now that I step back and think about it, stuff could have easily not worked. Because it, it's not a punchline kind of comedy. It's, it's like, you have all these moving pieces coming together to make it funny. And it's, like, if one of those pieces wasn't working, it wouldn't have been funny. And so I, I can't – like, situational comedy. Yeah, it's, like, situational comedy. It's all about the reactions. It's all about – when to take a pause. It's mm-hmm. about performance. It's about how you deliver a line. And, and it's like, it's timing, you know? And, and I think that I count my blessings that there's so much that worked. 
Mm-hmm. I think we only have a couple things that I was like, that wasn't as funny as it should have been, or that could have been a lot better. But, I mean, it's only a couple seconds out of, like, I think it's like a 13, it's come to like a 13-minute video. Mm-hmm. So it's, wow. I, I think that's really impressive that we were able to to make it funny and that people laugh. And that feels good because it's like, I imagine it in my head. And I and, and it's funny because it's like, with that kind of comedy, it's it's hard to explain why it's funny. Mm-hmm. You have to set everything up and explain it like really in depth before you get it. Um, you can't just say a line. It's like, yeah, that's funny. Mm-hmm. And so it's like a, a lot of it was me talking to Gabe. I'm like, okay, so picture this. Like we're going to set this up and then this happens, but we, we're, we're cutting here. And then it's like, you know, you know, it's like I really had to explain it. Mm-hmm. So to see what was in my head beyond screen is like, it, it's really cool. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. So um, let's talk about the casting process. Yes. This was a uh, fun topic. Fun, it's a fun topic. <laughs> yeah. As directors, it's fun to talk about. But you had a you had a very interesting time casting one of the characters, Lenny. Yes. So I guess let's start let's start with um, casting uh, Angie, the main character. Yeah. So, I mean, the casting process, honestly, it was, it was a lot of fun. I remember, um, waking up at like 4.30 in the morning to catch a train to Oceanside to like take a bus to LA and, and it was me and Gabe. I think we spent like 18 hours together that day. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I'm lucky that he, he's my friend cause I don't think anyone else would have like spent 18 hours with me, oh. you know, I'm, I'm just kidding. I know, I know I have friends, um, but no, it was, it was definitely one of those things where it's like, you're stuck together on a bus for like five hours total, you know, it was crazy. Um, but it, it was like an all day casting thing and we were excited because our casting director said, Hey, like we have a, you know, a good number of people lined up. Um, and so we had a lot of people come in for the sex addict support group, um, which we're kind of surprised about. But mm-hmm. then it's like, if you think about it, they had so much fun auditioning and those were actually really hard parts to cast because we had such good actors and it's like, we could see multiple people playing these roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a lot of fun. And then of course we did not get as many Angie's, um, uh, and, and even the ones we did, it was like, okay, I can like see it, but it wasn't anyone that came in and was like, just grab me. Mm-hmm. And then um, we had an interesting story. Uh, I think the most interesting thing that happened, well, not the most, there's a couple interesting things that happened. <laughs> but um, so if you remember in the script, there's like a flashback to where she's a little girl, right? Mm-hmm. So we were holding auditions for them as well. So our casting director comes in with these two little kids, um, boy and girl, about 12. And she's like, um, so they're here to read for uh, Angie and Lenny. And Gabe and I kind of look at each other like, what? Like, these are these little kids. And I'm thinking, oh, she's for the young Angie. Nope. Like, she was, they were auditioning oh for, like, gosh. the lead. And, and I couldn't, we couldn't turn them away because they had a whole scene memorized. And they blocked it out and everything. And I was, like, really impressed. And I was mm-hmm. just like, whoa. And they did a good job for, you know, 12-year-olds. But mm-hmm. I was just like, these, no, like, you're too young. Right. Um, so that was the only Lenny we got that day. <laughs> so I was just like... Oh, kind of, you know, it's, but it, I mean, if you think about it, he's, he's not the most attractive character to, you'd want to play. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm not that surprised, but, um, yeah, I remember coming in, uh, our casting director let us go get lunch and she was like, yeah, I'll hold down the fort. You know, I can record stuff for you guys. It's fine. And so we, we were getting lunch and we were coming back and it was like towards the end of the day. 
and it was like within our last hour of casting um Eve walks in and just her look first of all I was just like oh my gosh I got so excited and then I heard her talk and there was just something about her voice that I was just like that's her and then she gave <laughs> such a good performance like her audition was amazing I it's one of those things where it's like um like Scoggin says like the eyes have it it's like she actually she did she did this thing with like you could see it in her eyes like the emotion was there yeah and Honestly, I think that's what love at first sight feels like. Because I, I, like, she walked in the room and I was like, there's a- there's Angie. Um, That's her. Nice. And um, I remember our first day of shooting, we had to push it a couple hours back because she wasn't going to be able to make it on the time we wanted. And I was willing to, like, rework the schedule because I'm like, I need you in my movie. Mm-hmm. So she was, she was a lot of fun to work with. Oh, yeah. She was really she cool. She was great. Yeah. She was... Yeah, she, she's really good, very natural. Um, I I loved working with her. She's yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, she was she was really great on set. Really had that sort of awkwardness of the character. Yeah. I felt like that was one of the things I saw at least. That um, I was like, wow, that's impressive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like how are you going to pull that off with the with the character like that? And it's really cool to see that come together. Yeah. Now. I'm curious, when we talked about this last week with Gabe, we had to go back and shoot uh, the last scene yes. a couple weeks ago. Oh, I guess more than a couple weeks ago. At this point, and yeah. <laughs> she had different colored hair yes. at that time. <laughs> how did you guys react to that? And how I, are you guys working around that? Well, how do I... So the reshoot itself caused me to have a long list of reasons to be anxious and worried and I don't think I had time for one more I was just like <laughs> you know what I can't do anything about this and I knew that there was got to be some way to color correct it um but even just watching it like because it, it's been edited and everything it, mm-hmm. it really does because they had like a light overhead it really does look like just a highlight in her hair um, because she's not really been in that lighting setup before, so it's not very, it's not as jarring, um, on, like, on film as much as it was in, mm-hmm. in person. Gotcha. That's yeah. good. That's good. Yeah. Um, let's talk about casting Lenny. Yes. Okay. Everyone's favorite part. Yeah. Uh, my favorite part. Um, so Nick, um, Aleo, who plays Lenny, um, he, he's a really good friend of mine. Uh, he was one of the people I sent out the script to for notes, and he told me when he read it, um, him and Preston were having fun with it, and they were just doing it in these, like, weird voices and everything, and then he told me that he was giving Lenny, like, a really, really funny, like, voice when he was reading it out loud, um, and I'm, and I was joking, and I was like, oh, like, you should come, you show up to the audition, as, audition for Lenny, and he's like, maybe I will. And then it was kind of like a half joking thing, and I and he asked me like as we got closer to casting, he's like, "Did you actually want me to audition?" And I'm like, "I think it'd be fun, you know, because I, I know Nick is he even though he's not an acting student, he's very talented at acting. Mm-hmm. I thought it'd be fun to have him in the mix, you know, why not? Um, and I remember on the day casting, no one except for the twelve year old kid came in and auditioned. So I texted Nick, I was like, "Hey, um, are you still up for auditioning?" Because I mean, you basically already have the part because no one came in, but, mm-hmm. um, and so we did like a super informal audition, which we didn't even have to, like I knew who was capable of it. Um, and I, I know the story sounds really like I was desperate and he was a super last choice, but I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have even given him the chance if I didn't believe that he could do it. Mm-hmm. 
And now I, I could not picture anyone else playing Lenny. I think he, he brought something that was, that's very, um, it, it makes you really love the character of Lenny, you know? And, and I think we, we spent so much time on, on, you know, the scenes and, you know, Nick was always wanting to do stuff like one-on-one and, and we would play with things. He'd be like, do you want me to say this more this way or how about this way? And I was like, well, let's try both. Mm-hmm. And he treated Lenny like a, a character and not like a, a cartoon, you know, because, mm-hmm. it, I mean, it's easy. It, it, Lenny could have easily been a stereotype, but I right. don't want him to be. And I think Nick treated him like an actual character, and, and we worked really hard to give him um, little ticks that, um, again, didn't make him seem like a caricature, but a character. Um, and, I, of course, I have to give a, a huge shout-out to um, my entire art department, um, Lexi loved here, who like two nights before was like, Hey, I was just reading the script and I noticed he had braces. And so I didn't know if you still want it. So I just like, you know, threw this together and, and she, she made like mock braces out of like earring backings and wire. And Nick and I had tried before looking up ways to do fake braces, but everything was unsafe. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, okay, don't, I don't want to endanger you. It's not that big of a deal. We won't do it. Mm-hmm. And then Lexi just found a way to make the braces work and it just tied everything together so it's like you see him now and it's not it's not Nick. You know, it's Lenny. Right. And and I think that was that was something that Gabe and I were were worried about because um we wanted him we don't want people to watch it and be like, "Oh, it's Nick and be taken out." Mm-hmm. Um and we know to some extent it's going to happen, but it's like I think just objectively Nick did such a good job like it was he was Lenny and and there's all these like little things he would do and he would add to it or he would be like, "Hey, like could I do this, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, it was just, it was great. And, and I think, um, Lenny as a character was, was something I was really excited to kind of, you know, write and do and like figure out because, um, when I initially pitched the idea, I told people like, Oh, kind of, there's like a punchline that he like, she's like attracted to him sexually, but he's like not sexy at all. Mm-hmm. And that always throw people off. They'd be like, well, I think he should be attractive a little bit. Like, that doesn't make sense. Like, that's confusing. And I'd be like, no, like, that's, like, that's what makes it funny. And there's also the point of, like, everyone has their preferences. You know what I mean? Right. And, it, and and I, I definitely um, would say I drew inspiration from Polly Bleeker in, in Juno because <laughs> um, initially you find out, like, she's pregnant by this kid and, and it's kind of, like, joke. But then it's like you realize as you're watching the movie, like, oh, like, he's taken serious as a love interest Mm-hmm. And I think at the wee age of 14, when I watched that, I was very much like, like I walked away with something of like, wow, I'd never seen that before. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Lenny was a fun character because there was a lot of people who I could tell were kind of like confused by it or like they wanted him to be kind of the stereotypical, like cool kid in the class or, or not that they wanted him to be, but that's what they expected. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I made that decision. Cause it's like, it's not what you expect. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's it's not hard to love Lenny because Nick just does such a good job with him, and um, he's he's so sweet, he's adorable, he's so funny. Like he, it's like every time he's on screen, mm-hmm. it's it's incredible. So um, I loved working with him, uh, just from director to actor. He was great to work with. Um, him and Eve <laughs> had great chemistry. I try I tried this thing the. Um, where I've heard that the directors will do things with like their actors who have a specific dynamic is they'll try to set up a situation in real life to help influence that. So like Mm -hmm. I heard the director of the real life Cinderella 
or the live action Cinderella, um, when the prince and Cinderella first meet, mm-hmm. it's like a specific scene in the movie, and the director <laughs> kept the actors. They didn't want them to talk or, at all until they filmed that scene, ah. and so it comes across authentic. And so um, I did <clears> something <throat> like that in Rubber Gut um, with Leah and Irina, our actress who played the mom. I didn't have them talk to each other at all until they started shooting, just mm-hmm. kind of give that awkward like tension. Um, and so I had Nick and Eve exchange phone numbers, um, and I was like, this could either be great or this could be super awkward and we could just forget about it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But he told me they hit it off and they started, they like had a lot in common and they were just, they like by the time they were on set, they were like good friends. And I think that really influenced their chemistry because they definitely sell the friendship on screen. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think the little things that you put into the character, um, like the braces and the um, over-tucked shirt. Yeah. And um, the fact that he wasn't wearing, Nick wears glasses, the fact that he wasn't wearing glasses and stuff. Right. And I think all of that came together to really bring him to life. And also Nick's performance uh, was great. And I, I felt that. I felt that he wasn't a, he wasn't a character to us. Like, I think I've seen this person before in my right. life. One, one point and another. But um, yeah, they both, both of them did a fantastic job and you did a, Great job directing Thank those. Thank you. And uh, yeah, going off of that and the whole thing about um, giving them the, having them chat mm-hmm. over Facebook until they got on set, is there, have you sort of established like a specific style of directing or like what things do you as a director like to do on set? Uh, or how, how is your, how do you, how does your work ethic work as a director? Yeah. So this is actually a huge thing I learned. Um, filming my directing to final because I didn't have time to talk with the actors until like the day of. So a lot of our workflow would be, cause my, my, my team first of all was like super efficient. So I'm like, okay, you set up the shot. I'm going to go talk with actors. And it's like, I would be done talking with actors and they're just like sitting around on their phones because they've been set up for like 15 minutes and just waiting on <laughs> me. Right. Um, and so after that experience, I was like, okay, I need to talk to actors before so you can get on set and it's like you can just kind of go through your day. It makes things a lot easier. You're not taking time out of setups. You can get through so much more um, just talking to them beforehand. And so I made an effort to reach out um, to all the 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 key actors and um, work with them. I had a Skype call with Jasmine Wright, who played Margot, mm-hmm. um, the, the leader of the support group. Um, we ran through some of her lines. She gave me some questions, you know, feedback. Um, with Eve, she'd sent me an email of like 20 questions about Angie's character. Some of them Mm. I didn't even know. And I was just like, oh, dang, okay. Um, and then with Nick, I had the luxury of like taking three hours out of like a Friday and just working with him. So I would definitely say, um, a huge takeaway from what I did in directing too is like, working with actors beforehand because it gives you a chance to play with things and to have fun and to like experiment and be like hey do you want it more this way or do you want it more like that or does that line feel awkward like what would feel more natural to say like try saying that um and it's like if they have certain scenes down more than others you can work on the ones that are more difficult Mm -hmm. um you can also create things that you can reference back to so it's like if you establish something like you know, say it kind of like this, or if you reference something um, kind of just between the two of you, you can reference that on set, and they just know exactly what you're talking about. Like, hey, remember how we t- 
talked about this, like try implementing that. Um, and so I don't, I don't know if it was that process or I just had great casting this project, but it, it definitely helped the flow so much. I felt like every time we, we did another take, it was either for a safety or it was for like a technical camera or lighting thing. It wasn't because I didn't like the performance. So uh -huh. that definitely helps because it's like you get on set and they know what you want and they just deliver and it's great. Yeah, no, I agree. That's definitely how I like to work is cause I, I think directing a movie is almost in a way like directing a play mm -hmm. because at least with the actors, I think that's your main job is to get the performance out of the actors. Like you can make all the nice little set decks and special effects, all that stuff. That's great. But if the actors don't pull it together, the whole movie's going to fall apart. So, and I, I like that. I like the chance to sit down with the actors and just be like, let's talk about this. Let's block this out. Mm -hmm. and that's what they did for, I think, um, I think it was, uh, someone did a Dracula movie or something. I think it was Francis Ford Coppola mm -hmm. and they blocked the whole thing. Like they spent like a, like a month in a soundstage and just like, let's just run through the whole thing. Like a show block through your scenes. Then when they were on set, they were like, remember that thing we did do that. Yeah. And I think that's so useful and so effective. Even like one of my favorite directors, James Gunn does that for Guardians of the Galaxy and, he said it was like the most efficient shoot he's ever been on. It's like, yeah. I wanted, I want that because I want to be in that point where I'm directing big budget movies. And right. it's just like, I can have that sort of ease on set where it's just like, remember that thing? Let's, let's do that. Uh, and I'm still sort of working my way towards that mm -hmm. uh, as a director, but just to hear somebody else, the way, yeah. you know, the way that you work too, is just like, Oh, at least I'm not the only one right. who appreciates that. Um, yeah, definitely the biggest takeaway, especially the more emotional stuff. Like you want to be able to like talk through it oh, and it's yeah. like if you're pressured on set cause you only have so much time, like that's really going to cut into, mm -hmm. into your stuff. So it's like everything works smoothly and I, I definitely credit it to the fact that I did work with them ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And so they knew what I wanted going in. Even our pickups, like Nick and Eve met with me like an hour before we started shooting and I just ran through the scene. Nice. So. Yeah, it's just, this is one thing that I looking back on our time here at JP Catholic, it's just like, that's the one thing I wish we had more time to do is like make, have time to work, actually work with the actors. Cause a lot of it's just like, Hey, last minute, can you, can you play this big part in my right. two minute movie for directing one or something? Um, and you don't really have time to like explain to them fully what the movie is and mm -hmm. like how to portray it and really work on getting that performance to where it needs to be. Not that, you know, everything we've done here is terrible or anything like that, or that the performances are, are terrible, but some people like just naturally just, just walk on set, do it and go. Yeah. Um, but you definitely want to have that chance to work on it so that you feel satisfied with the performance. And it's like, okay, this, this flows just works as what I was looking for. Uh, but at the same time with how the program is set up, it's like, it's going to have to throw that under the rug, I guess, just for the sake of making, it's almost a challenge in a way. Mm -hmm. It's like, how can you make a, a good movie without all those, you know, commodities that a director would normally have, you know? Right. Uh, what else do I want to ask? Um, you talked a little bit about inspiration and Gabe talked a little bit about it too, about like specific films. Uh, I know you mentioned Juno. Is there any yeah. other films that like stick out to you, stick out to you that are like, 
really helped set the tone and the um, the feel of the movie. Yeah, so I've noticed because um, obviously this movie talking about it a lot. Um, <laughs> I, I get asked that question of like inspiration, and I've noticed with me anyways that my ideas for things is sort of like it's a melting pot of everything I've seen. Um, like I can't, I can't point to one movie and be like, oh, I, I tried to basically make that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for example, um, with, with rubber gut, like a, a lot of the quick cutting and the, the inserts and everything, um, everyone was like, oh, like Edgar Wright. And I'm just yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> um, but it was also a lot of like, um, in again, Juno, um, we're introduced <laughs> to, um, it's Polly Bleeker, and then we're introduced to um, uh, Jennifer Gardner's character. We're introduced to them in um, inserts and close-ups, and they are slower paced, but and they're not like quick. But it's like it, it was like a, a mixture of both of those things. That's where I got that idea from. So it's like I can't just point to one thing. Right. Um, I would say I think Juno's always going to be a big inspiration to me because it was one of the first independent films I saw I was like 14 and it was so new and fresh and I was it just stuck with me Mm -hmm. so um a lot there's a lot of like golds and reds and greens in that one um that's kind of where my 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 go-to color palette is um although me or on the dying girl had a more consistent um color palette kind of for everything Uh um whereas Juno it's mainly like in her room that you kind of see it mostly um but, but then again, Me and the Dying Girl was very, it wasn't very um, saturated. So it was kind of like, okay, I want these colors, but I wanted the vibrance that Juno had the colors in. Um, our cinematography came from Me and the Dying Girl because it's like a lot of crazy um, whip pans and like one, like long takes of things. Um, and I would say I like still haven't been able to put it into words, but I really like kind of the really dry comedy of, like, Nacho Libre and Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> How it's like you, you... Again, it's the visual aspect. Like, it has to all come together. Right. It's not a punchline that makes it funny. So it's like a lot of the decisions of, like, um, we'll cut to a wide where nothing's happening. Like, that's funny, you know? Uh-huh. Um, even, like, <laughs> I think the only specific things that I can remember where I was like, oh, like from that movie was um, we were trying to think of an effective way to show that she was having kind of her, her like, you know, sexual like feelings or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was like, like, how do you, how do you like put that on screen? And it makes sense. Right. And then I remembered from 21 Jump Street, my favorite movies of all time, <laughs> when they, they like accidentally took drugs. Um, and they're stopped in the hallway from the coach. And the coach is like, are you guys on drugs? And it's like this this moment of like these random images, like stuff, like a watermelon's exploding. Someone's crunching on something like close up. And there's like a lot of sound design going on. <laughs> and I was like, that's how I want it to feel. And so I was like trying to emulate that. Um, but it's funny because I was watching Juno at one point with uh, Lexi, who did set deck and everything mm-hmm. for my for my project. And there, there's, like, the, the moment where she's in the, the um, abortion clinic and she notices everyone's, like, scratching, they're picking their nails, and it's, like, super close-up and there's a lot of sound design. And she was like, is that where the thing from Chirp came from? And I was like, 
Actually, no, but I wouldn't be surprised if subconsciously it did. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's just a lot of stuff like that. I think there's a lot of techniques that I've seen in movies that I've liked that I try to emulate. Um, I wouldn't say that there's, like, one thing that I'm like, oh, I want to try to replicate that. So I, I d which, which I'm glad because I want it to feel like its own thing. I don't right. want it to feel like a knockoff of something. Um, and so I think it's cool to be able to, like, have an idea and to kind of backtrack and then say where did that come from and just kind of think of stuff I've seen. Um, and I, and I like that. I, I think I, I like, I like doing things that, you know, people haven't seen before. So not completely ripping off a movie. It's right. like, I, I, I like being able to, to do that. So, um, yeah, so it's a, it's a combination of a lot of movies I've seen. It's a combination of the specific kinds of comedies that, um, just work. And so, I don't know. I can't. I can't do punchlines. I can't <laughs> do things like that. But I can do stuff like. I don't know. It's like situational stuff. It's yeah. situational, or it's like deadpan. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's like yeah. just just like the awkward silences are just kind of just there. I don't know. It's right. it's it's a combination of a lot of things I've seen. So have you seen uh, The Edge of Seventeen? I have. That I I didn't see that movie until after we shot Chirp. Mm -hmm. I saw that and I'm like, this kind of, I don't want to say it feels like truth, but it just, it just kind of feels like the same caliber of movie. Mm -hmm. And I was curious if that, if you had seen that and maybe that had inspired some things or if you really pulled from um, that or I can't, if not at all. <laughs> I know we started developing it as it was coming out, so I hadn't seen it prior to, um, and, and I know it was, it was definitely marketed as like trying to kind of be in that circle. I don't know mm -hmm. if that was very accurate because it didn't feel very like kind of that it didn't feel like in that same vein but it it was a great movie and I thought it was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, wasn't really an inspiration though but um, <laughs> I think it's I was still a great movie. I was I was pleasantly surprised with because I feel like it could have been easily a lot of cliched moments and it just felt like I don't know, day in the life. Yeah, of someone growing up. And I and I think, you know, obviously it's one of those movies where, um, like, we're always told, oh, the character needs to grow and change. Um, but this one, I felt, it felt like an authentic, like, like she really had a wake-up call. Mm -hmm. um, and that was really cool to see. So, yeah, yeah. Um, wasn't an inspiration, but it was still, I definitely watched it, and I, I really liked it. Cool. So. Yeah, it's funny. I was looking at that movie for a... Uh, completely different genre, a science fiction movie I was writing because uh, it, it's um, it was the one I was doing in the class with Morgan oh, Sun, yeah, yeah. the first one. I'm trying to figure out this high school character, and it's like I don't I don't know how a high school high school girl works. So right. I was like, what can I watch? And I just like scoured the internet for the Edge of Seventeen, watched that, and I was like, I got it. Yeah, I got it. So it's weird how. Movies like that you don't think would influence, like, a science fiction movie right. of that caliber. So, um, anyways, that's cool. We're getting off topic. But uh, last <laughs> thing to sort of wrap this all up. Um, any other last remarks you want to leave people with before we all see the Well, most of us see the film. Jeez. Um, I don't know. It's been fun. It's I, If I could tell myself a year ago where I'd be... Um, I wouldn't because I would want myself to kind of go through the experiences, but I, mm -hmm. I think I would, I'd love to look back on, on that student who was still in directing too, who was trying really hard to like 
to make something cool and to live up to an expectation and, and prove something to herself that she can be ambitious and she can direct. Mm-hmm. She just has to put herself out there and take risks. And I tell her like, it's going to pay off because I, I've done so much with this and, and I'm really proud of myself and I'm proud of my team. I'm proud of Gabe. Um, and I don't, I can look back on it and, and count my regrets on one hand. So I think that's really exciting. And mm-hmm. I just hope that, um, I hope that we get, you know, as many laughs at, at the actual screening as we did on the test screening because that was, it's, it's cool to hear people react positively to um, something you did and something you believe in. And um, it, it, it just kind of goes to show that, like, I hit all the right notes. So um, I'm proud of it. Everyone listening who helped on it, you should be proud of it. Um, everyone who can see it. Please come see it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. Uh, here's a better question than that one. Okay. No um, Will, looking back at this and looking to sort of the future after Sherp, what are, uh, I guess, like, what are your, what are you hoping to do after this? Like, is this going to lead into directing more things in this mm-hmm. style? Is this sort of like you cementing? These are the films that to expect from Miley D. Durbin. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny. I've I really wanted to do um, drama. I didn't really think I was funny enough to do comedy, so <laughs> I've kind of stumbled into this genre. Um, not to say that there won't be comedies, because I think I can't help but think in this mentality now, but um, there's a lot of ideas I have for shorts and for features, and, and they're all kind of like everywhere um mm-hmm. I really don't want to be kind of in one you in one genre. to one genre yeah okay. I because I think I I get inspired by a lot of things and I get inspired to do a lot of things and I think that's a fun challenge of being well-rounded and so I think mm-hmm. um I'm not gonna promise anything I'm not gonna like uh say that this is these are the kind of movies um I'm gonna keep making for the rest of my life I want to explore other things I yeah I feel like each story you know, as it's being told, has an aesthetic and has a, a world and has a, a tone that's appropriate for that story. And not everything is supposed to be told in a comedic way, just mm-hmm. as not everything is uh, most effective told in a dramatic way. So I, I kind of, I just want to keep telling stories in whatever shape or form those come in. So. Cool, cool. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, having been brought onto the core team having worked on i mean worked on sorry having seen the read the script uh having been on set and seen everything i've seen um i've been really excited for this project most of all thank you it's um i do like this this genre of the quirky indie comedy because mm-hmm. uh, it is different it's, it's not something that's total it's like celebrated by all but it's it's something that people do some people at least value and i'm one of those people and seeing you do it the first thing Robert got was just like I, I want to see what you do next oh, and seeing, not only seeing what you do next but a, a being allowed to be a part of of that has been really awesome so oh, for that I, I thank you for letting me be on this project and thank you for doing it you oh. were you were such a great I'm so, I was so happy you were on it because it was such a good job oh thank you yeah you were great <laughs> I do sound just so you know <laughs> and that's not like that's that's a hard job to do every time I'm watching rough cut with mary like she always says 
sound is so clean. Like, it's so beautiful. <laughs> oh, man, that makes me so happy. Yeah, we've not had, like, any issues with sound, like, at all, so... Oh, wonderful, <laughs> That's wonderful. a big testament. And that's Scoggins' big thing. He's like, watch out for sound. That's what's going to keep you from being in the screening. Yeah, <laughs> and so exactly. It's, like, it's definitely an important job that mm-hmm. not a lot of people can excel at, so... Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, of course, this isn't about me. This is about chirps, so... <laughs> Yeah, I think you all need to be... I know I've been saying this time and time again. I talk about Chirpy when you guys aren't on air, so <laughs> look forward for Chirp Jeez. because it's going to be it's going to be a great film. And I don't know when you guys are going to see it. Probably not for a while, but trust <laughs> me when I say it is a fantastic movie. It's going to be a fantastic movie. And um, yeah, look forward to it. And that was our topic of the week. Um, again, I don't have a shout out. I'm just going to go default from what I did last week and shout out all the senior projects. Uh, of course, we had Gabe Miley on now from Chirp Buzz. Uh, we're going to try to get Preston from ARC and JJ from ARC. We're going to try to get Susie from Susie Duenas from La Opportunidad, Andrew Carlisi from Within, and Claire McKay, my co-director for Windfall Rising. Um, so yeah, shout out to all you guys, senior projects. Hope they're all working out well. I can say Windfall is turning out really well. So. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Um, Miley, thank you for being on the show again. Thanks for asking me to be on the show. Yeah, probably probably the last time for a while, but um, right, <laughs> we'll do it again. Yeah, of eventually, course. eventually, eventually. Um, where can the people find you online or Twitter, or Facebook, Instagram, stuff like that? I'm at Miley Durbin on Twitter, and I don't have an Instagram. Sorry, that's okay. I'm not a cinematographer. I don't take cool pictures. <laughs> But I'm on Twitter. Your, your Twitter's pretty great. I get I get I get a kick out of your Twitter. You and Elizabeth and, and Susie and it's Gabe. just us quoting each other. But I'm glad you get a kick out of it. It, it, it brings a smile to my face, brightens my day. Good. Um, all right. Well, thank you all for watching episode 24 of the Vince Learner Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, hit the like button, subscribe to my YouTube channel, you can check out my short films, trailer reactions, and more episodes of the Vince Learner Podcast. Next week is episode 25. I don't know who's going to be on there, but. 25 episodes, and I've been doing this for almost over a year, so pretty exciting. And, uh, yeah, okay. (laughs) All right, thank you all for watching. Have a great day, weekend, whenever you're watching us. Have a great day. God bless, and peace out.